0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, the podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, interpret, and pray with sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I'm your host, Chase Krauss. Let's dive in. Howdy, howdy, y'all. Happy, well, I always do this. I'm about to say happy Monday, because I'm recording this on a Monday, but I release it on Thursdays. So if you're listening to it on Thursday, happy Thursday. And if you're not listening to us on a Thursday, Happy whatever the day is that you're listening on. Uh, thank you so much for joining me Another episode of Catholics with Bibles. Uh, we're in this, another really weird time in this current post-COVID world, whatever it is, not really post-COVID, it's current COVID, but it's post-first wave COVID, and so we're, we're recording this in Texas, and we are entering like the second... Wave, I guess it's not officially the second wave, but we're starting to see another uptick in COVID cases. So, please just pray for Texas and all the other states, California, Arizona, and Florida. You know, wherever else we're seeing this second wave come about. Pray for people's safety and prudence, and the ability to love our neighbors and be charitable and patient with them. I don't know about you guys, but I'm I'm kind of. When it comes to like mask wearing, I, I hate wearing, first of all, I hate, I don't think anybody likes wearing masks. I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and be like, I can't wait to put my mask on today. Um, <laughs> I mean, if that's you, then, well, you're weird, but, uh, <laughs> I you know, not a huge fan, but at the same time, I understand the logic and the reason behind it. Uh, you know, and sure. There's some people will say, you know, oh, the science isn't there. There's still, that doesn't decrease the risk of infection. I'm like, well, I think it might. Um, all this fails though, I would rather on the off chance that, you know, it doesn't, I would rather at least try to reduce the spread of it by wearing a mask than, you know, just not wearing it because if it even decreases it by a little bit, then, you know, that's worth, that's worth the effort. And especially if people around you aren't comfortable, uh, even, you know, St. Paul talks about this, uh, ministering to the weak in, in Romans, he talks about, you know, how the weak, quote unquote, weak Christians, um, they they they're vegetarians basically in Rome because they can't guarantee that the meat is uh, not hasn't been sacrificed to idols or that's kosher. So that instead of just risking it, they just don't eat meat. And Paul basically calls uh, the strong Christians who are the ones that know that they can eat meat and that's fine. Uh, you know, they, he he calls on the strong Christians to minister to the weak by if they're with eating with them, just don't eat meat, dude. Like, as we said, it's like, just don't eat meat, eat veggies for that one meal. Like better to not cause scandal and not to cause divisions. And so I kind of view this the same way where if people, you know, prefer that I wear a mask around them, that I wear the mask around them. Cause at worst it inconveniences me, you know, minutely the the half a second it takes me to put on the mask. And then it's not terribly comfortable while I'm doing it. But at the same time, like, it's not that bad. So, you know, I just wear the mask. So that's my mask tangent <laughs> for this podcast. I wasn't really planning on going on it, but it happened. So there's that. Anyway, pray for everybody in the second wave of the COVID um, that's that looking like it's coming up. Hopefully we don't have to shut down completely again like we did the first time around. So let's just stay rooted and grounded in Christ and grounded in our community, whether it's a micro community of our family, the macro You're blessed to be able to interact with um, a small group community or a parish community at this point. So let's get into our Greek word of the day, Greek word of the day. And I'm going to butcher this pronunciation because there's some like gutturals in Greek. A guttural means like you use like the back of your, your, your voice. And I'm always really bad at this. When I was taking Greek, my professor used to make fun of me because I just can't do it. So I'm going to pronounce it the way I'm going to pronounce it. You probably don't know the difference, but if you happen to know Greek and know this word, then you'll know, wow, Chase just butchered that word. Whatever, get out of my face. I'm going to say it anyway. Um, So the Greek word of the day is kakesous, kakesous, (laughs) kakesous. Anyway, it means um, boasting, uh, to boast. Uh, And so St. Paul talks about boasting a few times. And the the reason I think this is kind of a cool word, one, it appears in our passage today, but also in English, to boast it, you know, automatically has this negative connotation to it. We don't like people who are boastful. We don't like people to boast. But Paul in this passage says he's he's boasting, and it's a good way. It's because in the Greek, that word, which I'm not going to say again. You can rewind it if you want to hear me butcher that word again. But um, it, it it can mean it can mean the negative connotation. Like it, it can mean that. Uh, but it can also be rendered like as a confident joy. So it's a, it's a confident joy. Uh, to boast in the Lord's goodness, to have that humble confidence and that humble, confident joy that Jesus is good, that God is good, that he has saved us, that he has redeemed us, that he is Lord of life and has been raised from the dead, to boast in the crucifixion of the Lord because it was in the cross that our salvation was won for us. Uh, So that was the Greek word of the day. I'm not going to say it again because it was just really hard to say, y'all. Um, <laughs> you're, you're, you're witnessing my humanity right now because I'm not fluent in Koine Greek and fun fact. Also, I took like six years of Spanish and I know a decent amount of Spanish, but my accent is total garbage, total garbage. Anybody who's ever heard me try to speak Spanish knows it is trash. So I'm going to stick to English and just be able to read, Greek and Spanish, I guess. Um, so we're, we're diving in. We're going to finish chapter two, of first Thessalonians today. So the first half of chapter two, um, we have a few different things going on. We have Paul you know talking about he wasn't trying to teach uh, to, in order to you know gain something, gain pleasure or money. He wasn't trying to gain flattery from others. Uh, he was you know preaching for the sake of God's kingdom, right for the sake of building up the kingdom like a father with his children. Um, and so, calling, he's reminding them that that God has called the Thessalonians uh, into his own kingdom and glory at the end of uh, verse 12. So we're going to jump in on verse 13, and we're going to finish the chapter today. So let's dive in. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God and Christ Jesus that are in Judea for you suffer the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and dis, uh, and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles they they might be saved that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins but wrath has come upon them at last. All right. So pardon my couple, just mess up some words. Uh, so there's a few things before we start diving in here. If you're using an NAB Bible, NRSV Bible, RSV Bible, the translation is going to be a little bit different here. A couple of reasons. One, I'm using ESV, uh, which is my Greek English New Testament and their translation. is a bit more literal. Um, but also, I also adjusted a few things based off Nathan Eubanks' commentary, which I'll explain in a little bit here. Some of the some of the translations uh, his, that he uses actually is different than a- ABRSV as well. Kind of looking closer at the Greek uh, grammar there. So we'll get into that as we go. Just know that if my translation was pretty different at certain points, it's okay. Uh, we'll, we'll explain why, hopefully. And if you're using a, a Vulgate Bible, then it's probably like super different. It's probably been super different this whole time. A uh, quick side note about Vulgate Bibles. Um, so obviously, Vulgate Bible came from the Latin Bible, Latin to English. But when you jump languages, it words are just going to get messed up a little bit. Not all the time; the general idea is there, but they're going to get messed up. So, because the Vulgate, right? Saint uh, Jerome took uh, the Greek text, translated into Latin, and then from there, Latin went to English. And so that's you know, it, it's, there's a there's a middleman there, right? So going from Greek to Latin, uh, the 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 text, the translations, probably pretty good. Saint Jerome spoke, you know, Greek fluently, and he spoke Latin fluently, obviously. But when you're jumping languages again from Latin to English, instead of just the Greek to English, uh, that's when things get a little, little tricky, a little dicey. Um, so the Vulgate Latin translation is a pretty solid translation, uh, but when you go from Latin to English, some of the words get weird, and they try to like use the English equivalent of some like big Latin words, and it just sounds kind of funny. Uh, so I'm not a huge fan of just of academically using it, but it's a it's a beautiful Bible either way, and I'm not I'm not trying to diss it or anything. Just saying that's why it's so different. Um, so looking at verse 13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So, first off. It's another part where we, we also thank God constantly or unceasingly, without ceasing, for this. For what? That when you receive the word of God, you accepted it as the word of God. So once again, Paul, being able to pray unceasingly, and one thing, we've talked about this a couple, couple weeks ago. It's not that Paul was just constantly growing around saying like, Hail Mary is our father's glory be's and like constantly just being like, wow, thanks God, thanks God, thanks God, thanks God, thanks for the Thessalonians. Wow, thanks God, thanks God, thanks God, thanks God, Take a go buy the food, thanks God, thanks God. Right, that's not, that's not it. I think too often as Catholics and Christians, we we fail to see that we can also pray unceasingly even if we're not monks or nuns. We don't have to be cloistered to pray unceasingly. Paul was definitely not a cloistered monk or nun. Obviously, right? He had very intense, deep relationships with a lot of people. He traveled all the time. It was through the manner in which he lived that he could thank God for the Thessalonians through his actions by offering up his daily task and words for the praise of God, praise of of his glory and to thank him for the Thessalonians. So they received the word of God and here... We have this—not as word of man, but as word of God. Because even today, I'm sure, right there, there are people who who hear the teachings of Jesus Christ and say, "Wow, that's that guy's a really smart guy," you know, he's a really solid teacher, there's a really good moral truths, and, and they leave it at that. And I'm sure there's people in Paul's day, obviously, that that thought the same thing. You look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five, six, and seven. If you haven't read the Sermon on the Mount, stop this podcast. Read Sermon on the Mount. It's St. Augustine calls so it the the summary of, of Christian moral life and you can read the Sermon on the Mount and it is, I mean, it's possible to just read it and say mm, yeah this is a human who reached a, a higher understanding of authentic human morality. You can, you can read it like that. It's totally possible um, but if you read it closely you see that and if you know like the Old Testament history Jesus Asserts his authority over it, though. So what do I mean by that? So he says, amen, amen, I say to you, you have heard that it was said to your fathers that you shall not kill, but I say to you, you shall not be angry at your brother. Well, anybody who knows the Old Testament knows that you shall not kill came from the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, right? And that was given to Moses by God. So to say, amen, amen, I say to you, which means like truly, truly, like for real, like listen up, I say to you, you have heard that it was said you should not be, you should not kill, but I say to you, you should not be angry. Only God could have the authority to not abolish, right? Jesus says he doesn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Only God has the authority to take his law and take it to the next level. No man, no man can do that. So Jesus, in asserting his authority over the Decalogue, over the Old Testament, and fulfilling it and taking it to the next level, that higher bar, he very, very literally and very obviously to the Jews asserts his authority as a divine, as the divine Messiah. So these Thessalonicans, Paul's giving thanks for them because he proclaimed Christ and Him crucified to the Thessalonicans, and with that, all of the teachings of Jesus Christ. Uh, we assume the Eucharist, we assume baptism you know, all the moral teachings and everything Paul's talking about in all of his letters. And Paul thanks God because the Thessalonican community didn't just say like, wow, that's a great like new human philosopher who came out. Because they're Greeks, right? They knew, they've heard of Plato, they've heard of Aristotle, they've heard of the Stoics, right? Uh, they knew of the philosophers, the Greek philosophers. but They didn't just accept Jesus Christ as another great philosopher, They accepted him as divine, as truly the word of God incarnate, the word of God. So verse 14, for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. So this is where I'm taking a note from Nathan Eubanks here in the translation. So your translation probably has in in the second sentence, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. So uh, the word there, uh, Udaya, sorry in Greek. Anyway, it can be translated Jews, but it can also be translated as the Judeans. As in the, the Jews who lived in Judah, in Jerusalem, right? So too often throughout history, the Christians and Catholics have there's been this anti-Semitism um, that has never been a part of the church properly, but some poorly formed Catholics and Christians have taken verses like this and ran with it as a saying, the Jews killed Jesus, therefore the Jews, all Jews are bad. No, that is no bueno. The church is not anti-Semitic. Uh, the church and St. Paul, if you read his letters, like especially if you read the letter to the Romans, in Romans 9, 10, and 11, particularly 9, um, he talks about how uh, the Jews are uh, the people of God, the chosen ones of God. Let me see if I can get here. Uh, Romans 9. Sorry if you hear my pages turning. It's right under the mic here. Um, Romans 9. I've actually really pet peeve when I listen to podcasts, and I really hate when I hear pages turning, but I'm doing it right now. I'm such such a hypocrite. Lord, forgive me. Anyway, all right. So chapter Romans 9, verse 4, we read, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So Paul clearly holds the israelites and remember so uh, all jew all jews were israelites and all israelites were jews there's 12 tribes the jews were from the tribe of judah uh, that's where they're called jews anyway all israelites are have they have the adoption right they they have the glory to them belong the sonship first of all even though in the old testament it was more of a metaphorical way uh, but it's still there and what does the church say about this our relationship with our jewish brothers and sisters Nathan Eubank even comments on this from the Second Vatican Council from Nostra Aetate. My Latin's worse than my Greek. Anyway, we read this. True, the Jewish authorities and those who followed their lead pressed for the death of Christ. Still, what happened in his passion cannot be charged against all the Jews, without distinction, then alive, nor against the Jews of today. Furthermore, In her rejection of every persecution against any man, the church, mindful of the patrimony she shares with the Jews and moved not by political reasons but by the gospel's spiritual love, decries hatred, persecutions, displays of anti-Semitism directed against Jews at any time and by anyone. Besides, as the church has always held and holds now, Christ underwent his passion and death freely, because of the sins of men and out of infinite love, in order that all may reach salvation. It is therefore the burden of the church's preaching to proclaim the cross of Christ as a sign of God's all-embracing love and as the fountain from which every grace flows. So this verse, Nathan Eubank argues, should be translated as Judeans without the comma because it's true. It It was the Jews in Jerusalem proper, in Judah, and not even all of them in Jerusalem, right? Not all of them were complicit, but there was a, a good chunk of the Jews in Jerusalem, Judeans in Jerusalem, that killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. And so St. Paul taking uh, a note from Jesus there in Matthew 21, Jesus says, you know, you scribes and Pharisees, and you Jerus- in, in Jerusalem, uh, you know, woe to you because you killed the prophets, right? So similar language that Jesus uses in Matthew 21 um, there. And so, backtracking just a hair, the beginning of verse 14, for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God and Christ Jesus that are in Judea. So, kind of going back, Paul uses the word imitators, become imitators of me as I'm a Christ earlier in chapter one. And so, going back to there, so the church in Thessalonica, they weren't trying to reinvent the wheel. Paul also wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel. He saw what was working in Judea with the original converts, and how that community was flourishing and it was growing from the Acts of the Apostles. Read this. And so he takes that and takes that model and brings it to Thessalonica. All right, so going on to 15. Who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Uh, just briefly, because I want to make sure we finish chapter two today. So we have another little bit here. To fill up the measure of their sins, it's it's, to fill up the measure. It's it's debt language. So Paul almost treating as in like when you sin, you you store up for yourself sins that God will eventually take account of on the day of judgment. Uh, Elsewhere in First Corinthians, uh, he talks about uh, wages. Wages of sin is death. Um, And so we, Paul, has this the work language, this debt language throughout. And there's a lot of uh, discussion that can go around it. There's a lot of debate, even amongst Catholics, for, for how we should interpret that. But just know here, um, this is debt language, right? To fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. So we don't really know what Paul is specifically referring to there. We don't know what wrath has come upon the Jews of Jerusalem, uh, we know elsewhere, Jesus talks about in Matthew, uh, near the end of Matthew, that, you know, this generation will not pass before they see the Son of Man coming in his glory and all the angels with them and you know, the stars shall fall and all these things. Uh, but we obviously know that Jesus didn't come before they all died. But at the same time, we know that in 70 AD, the Romans came and destroyed the second temple. And we can't forget that the temple was built to resemble the universe, so in the temple, you had a garden, you had uh, waters that flowed from it, and the ceiling, you had stars, you had vines. So the temple was supposed to represent all of the cosmos and the world. So we can interpret what Jesus says as actually happening because why? Jesus died roughly roughly uh, 33 AD in theory, it's give or take a couple of years, depending on how you date it. Jesus was 33 years old when he died, so 33 AD, give or take a few years, depending on how you date it. But in 70 AD, that's 40 years later, that's a generation. Right, in ancient times, 40 years was a generation. So truly, there was Jews who heard Jesus talking, who saw the destruction of the temple, namely the stars falling from the sky and the, the world, um, and you know the temple being representative of the world, being destroyed. So... This being the first and the early, we talked about it in the very first time. The first Thessalonians is arguably the first letter Paul wrote. So this destruction of the temple didn't happen yet, and it hadn't happened yet. Uh, Paul definitely would have talked about that in his letters if he had been around for the destruction of the temple. Paul probably died, uh, or he Paul did die before the destruction of the temple, most likely. So once again, not really. We don't really know what exactly he's referring to. Something though happened to the Jews of Judea. Who uh, persecuted uh, persecuted Jesus and the prophets um, during this time? We we won't know um, not until we get to heaven one day. So let's let's go on here to uh, finish the chapter. Verse seventeen. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. So, this is a really beautiful passage in a lot of ways. One of the things Nathan Eubank points out, verse 17, that word torn away, you might have a different uh, word there, but it actually it's not but the Greek says, "It's just uh way we can kind of better understand it in the English." In the, in the Greek, though, it says, "But since we were made orphans from you, made orphans from you." That's like that's intense language. Since we were made orphans from you, Paul kind of revealing his heart here, how close he really was to the Thessalonians. How much he loved them and how, how deeply and personally he was with this community. It's one thing I think we see really successful evangelists do. They don't just go in and go out and kind of uncaringly show the message of God. That's not a sign of holiness. It's the ones who enter into a situation or somebody's life and live in that present moment. And really, just love the people they're with. Those are the ones that really make the biggest impact. It's those people that make the biggest impact. Who can really enter into a situation when a parish sends a priest in, whether it's associate pastor or pastor, and he they just enter into that community and just love on the people and you know break their heart over and over again every time they get transferred somewhere else. And that's that, I can't imagine how hard that would be for the priest. I have a lot of priest friends and. Every time one of them gets transferred, you know, they say it sucks. It's, it hurts because you give out your heart to them. But then they, then I, you know, then they tell me that, I, but I, that's how I know they're a good priest because they know that's the cross that they chose to bear as their vocation. So, but since we were made orphans from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So Paul here, recognizing that nothing happens without God's will, he either allows it or or wills it, but Paul realizes that we live in a fallen world and that the enemy does not want the kingdom to be built. He hates us. He hates God. He's going to do everything he can to hinder the spreading of the kingdom. So Paul here acknowledging that uh, there's this false sense amongst Christians and Catholics sometimes that for some reason that Satan and demons aren't real because after Jesus died and rose again that you know he abolished victories won and all Satan and demons are they're done they can't work anymore. If for anybody who's actually read the New Testament knows that that is dumb. That is so dumb. Read the Acts of the Apostles. Like there's exorcists still. Paul here saying Satan hindered him. Once again, we don't know exactly what that means. Somehow Timothy got to the Thessalonians to deliver this letter, but Paul couldn't. Don't know why, but Paul acknowledging that there is spiritual warfare, that while God is ultimately in control, Satan is there to do everything he can to fight God's kingdom being built. But like an old boss of mine used to say, uh, Satan's a dog on a leash, right? God will never allow him to do something um, unless it's going to ultimately bring about the greater good. So I'm not a... uh, Exorcists i i don't really, i've never studied demonology too much so just quick don't study demonology just don't like <laughs> um study the bible study theology you do not need to study demonology stay close to the sacraments go to confession often that's your best protection that's all i'm gonna say about that please do not study demonology or angelology you do not need to okay um that is also from dr barber not me he told me that in class one day and i'm gonna stick to his word for it um So last verse, two verses here before the end of chapter two. Uh, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting? There's that Greek word again, the kakeseus, um, before our Lord Jesus at his coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. So namely, if you're given the beautiful gift of uh, being an evangelist, of building up communities, you're going to be judged by your fruit. Paul talks about that elsewhere. Jesus talks about it as well. You can't tell a tree if it, you can't tell if a tree is good or bad unless it bears fruit, and the fruit's gonna be good or bad. And so we all, our vocations, no matter what it is, you're called to build up community, you're called to evangelize, you're called to bring people to heaven. And for Paul here, he's saying that, you know, you Thessalonica, you're what I'm gonna present to God. You're my joy. You're my boasting. You are our glory. If you're married, you should be approaching your spouse like that. Your your primary vocations to your spouse. Your kids are there secondarily. You love your kids by loving your spouse. And when you die and you're face-to-face with God, I pray that you can say, you know, I did my best. I'm presenting my spouse to you as my glory. Because we work together to come to know you, Jesus Christ, and to come to be, you know, imitators of you. So, that is chapter dose of First Thessalonians. We're going to get into chapter three next week. Thank you again for joining me on Catholics with Bibles, y'all. So once again, thank you for joining us with these small Catholic Bible episodes. I say that very intentionally. If you've been following this podcast for any period of time, you know that we're trying to keep these bite-sized. We're trying to keep them 30 minutes or less, even though sometimes I go on tangents. And so I hope you enjoy the tangents. Anyway, thanks for joining us on Catholic Bibles, y'all. I'll see you all next time. God bless.